All right, let's start with some light bulb jokes. How many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? You got it. One, only one, but the light bulb has to want to change. How many chiropractors does it take to change a light bulb? Okay, one, but it takes six visits. How many jazz musicians does it take to uh, replace a light bulb? Well, the answer is uh, one, uh, two, uh, one, two, three, four. Okay. How many emo kids does it take to uh, change a light bulb? They don't change the light bulb. They just sit in the dark and cry. How many Mennonites does it take to change a light bulb? Okay, guys, this is a very technical answer. The, question, the, the answer is at least 17. One to change the light bulb, one to bring the potato salad, and three committees of at least five people to approve the change and decide who brings the potato salad. Actually, I'm just kidding. It would never pass the congregational vote. They'd bring egg noodles if they were, I'm okay. And if you thought those were bad, did you hear the one about the hipster who burned his hand changing the light bulb before it was cool? How many bureaucrats does it take to change a light bulb? Two. One, to assure us that everything is going according to plan and we're doing all that we can. And, the, and another one to attempt to screw it into the bathtub faucet. How many millennials does it take to change a light bulb? I don't know, but it's got to be an odd number because right now they just can't even. <laughs> I got one more. If you're like, oh my word, how long are these jokes going to go on? Just one more. How many polite New Yorkers does it take to uh, screw in a, a light bulb? Polite New Yorkers. Both of them. Yeah, both of them. Okay. Why was I so mean to New Yorkers? But they are kind of mean. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're still in Colossians. Hopefully we can get uh, verse 7 done today. I'll read uh, starting at verse 5 just for context. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, which is idol worship, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways that you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. This is the word of the Lord. So, verse 7 says, These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. I love the fact that the New Testament says the real you is not the old you. The real you is the new you. 
A lot of the church of Jesus doesn't know that yet. They sing about being the old you. They pray as though they are the old you. They tell each other, how are you doing? Better than I deserve for just an old sinner. They still identify as though they were the person Christ actually died to free them from. And feel like it's proud or pride to affirm the things the scripture repeatedly, the majority of the New Testament's emphasis is on affirming things they would feel proud to say as though they're talking about themselves instead of what Christ accomplished. The Bible says, I once was lost, but I'm not lost anymore. I'm found. The Bible says, I once was in sin, but I'm not in sin anymore. I'm in righteousness. I once was far from God, but I'm not anymore. I'm home. I once was God's enemy, but I'm not an enemy of God anymore. I'm his child and I'm his friend. That old lifestyle is also gone. We up and left that town. It's a ghost town. We were sleepwalking through life like zombies, but now we're awake and we're alive. We were on the wrong side of a great cosmic battle that's raging all over the place. We were on the wrong team, but we've switched teams. And as soldiers, we have, we have marching orders, significant marching orders. Our lives actually matter, in other words. Our lives have purpose and have value. We get up in the morning with a meaningful purpose and a reason to be. It may not feel true yet for some of us, especially when you're new. When you're new in the Lord, it's really weird to receive love. It feels so unnatural. You remember the scene in Infinity War um, Endgame? Is it, is it the fourth Avengers movie? Where Cap gives the shield, this is a spoiler, I guess, I don't know. Close your ears if you care. Where Cap gives the shield to Falcon. Who knows what I'm talking about? Okay, good. At least, you know, six people. <laughs> Cap gives his, his shield, the Captain America shield, to Falcon. And he looks at it like, are you serious? And he looks over and Bucky nods like, yeah, take it. Because we all expected Bucky was going to get it. He puts it on his arm, his left arm, because his right arm's for punching. I loved Captain America growing up. That was the guy. He was a little figurine. I, you know, little kid walk, playing in all over the place. Imaginary worlds happening. Better than books and movies, right? It's just really hard for books and movies to match up to the child imagination. You know what I mean? So hours and hours of this. Beating up bad guys. He's, he puts it on, and then Cap says, how does it feel? And the Falcon says, like it's someone else's. And Cap says, it isn't. I think when Christ puts his righteousness on us, when God makes us his children, when he changes our identity, when he completely gifts us with royal status, you know that, right? We're children of the king. We're royalty, guys. Jesus, the king, the Lord of all, the Lord of the universe, the most incredible, regal, beautiful, majestic, holy, like perfect person you would ever meet. It's crazy. Like if you were coming into the presence of, of like 
the president or the king of some great country and everything is white covered with gold and you walk in and you're like, oh my word, am I, am I dressed nicely enough? How do I behave? Oh my goodness, do I bow? What do I do? What do I do? Nothing compared to Jesus, his majesty. And the Bible says he's your brother. He's your brother. He's not ashamed to call you his brothers and sisters. That kind of royal status that we have, it feels like wrong, especially at first. When God calls Moses, Moses is like, I think you got the wrong guy for the job. Uh, You want me to do what now? Be your mouthpiece? You know I have a speech impediment, right? And God says, oh, my bad. I didn't know that. I guess I'll call someone else. Not, of course I know that. And also, who made the tongue? In other words, he doesn't say to Moses, oh, your inadequacies are just too much for me to know how to work with. Good point. No, what he says is, "Uh, yeah, I know all about you. That's not the point. Look at me. When he comes to Gideon, when God calls Gideon, Gideon's hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. And that's the worst place to, to thresh wheat. If you want to thresh wheat, you, gotta thr- you have to smash it on the ground to break the part, to get the kernels to come out of the husks. Then you throw it in the air and the wind carries away the chaff and you're left with, this, with what you want, the food. And he's hiding down in a wine press. That's the dumbest place you could be. Why? Because he's terrified. He's terrified. He's hiding from the enemies. And God comes, the angel of the Lord comes and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior, he's hiding. And Gideon says, I think you got the wrong man. You know my family, right? Like we're all losers. They're all losers and I'm the loseriest loser of the losers. I'm the runtiest runt of a group of cross-eyed mutts. None of our puppies bark, you know. And I'm the runt. Who are you talking to? And this is the, Lord's, the angel of the Lord's response. He doesn't say, oh, my bad. Uh, I guess we got the wrong house. Enjoy not doing well at life. No, he doesn't. He says, the Lord is with you. He doesn't try to boost his self-esteem. Right? That's not the way out of this mindset is not boost your self-esteem and look in the mirror and tell yourself you're awesome. That's not God's way out. That is worldly psychology's way out, but that's not God's. God's way is to say, the Lord is with you. Not believe differently just about who you are as though it depended on you. That's an empty well. No, put your faith in him. Put your hope in him. He's with you. Is the, is the most important thing about you is that he's with you. Not your skills, not your gifts, not where you came from, not your intelligence, not your background, not your story, not what they did to you, didn't do for you not what you've done or didn't do. The Lord is with you is the most important fact, okay? So we had an old life, but the Lord delivered us. We didn't deliver us, the Lord delivered us. And he brought us into a new life. The old us is gone. We didn't do it. We have a new life. We didn't build it. Though I love when, they, when the Lord brings the Israelites into the promised land. He says, I'm bringing you into a, a, a land of milk and honey and to homes you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant, I love it. Orchards, you didn't, it's all furnished. It's all a gift. Just enter, just receive it. 
And that's our righteousness. That's our relationship with the Father. That's the gifts of the Spirit. That's the status we have. That's the access we have. It's a finished work we enter into. Okay. Paul says, who is sufficient for this ministry? And his answer was, nobody. Our competence comes from God. So if you feel competent in yourself, that's not helpful. And and Paul said he's learned a little sneaky trick that when he feels the weakest, he learns to depend on God beyond his inabilities. And it's actually when he functions in the most divine power. Let me put it another way. When he feels the least anointed, he's actually the most anointed. That's funny. And by funny, I don't mean ha-ha, I mean weird. It's not fun to feel that weak, that dependent. Okay, verse 8. But now you must get rid of all such things as these, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. So the modifier from your mouth means every one of these other words, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language, all have to do with mouth. Get rid of angry speech, wrathful speech, malicious speech, slanderous speech, and filthy speech. In order. Get rid of. This is the Greek word apotithemi, which is, means just strip it off like it's, a, like it's clothing. Go for it. Apotithemi. Apotithemi. It feels like hippopotamus for some reason in my mind, and that's not helpful. Okay. It means like to take off or put down and to put away, to get rid of, to give something up, to renounce. So a couple years back, I'm sitting in my office, and the Lord tells me to, uh, about something in my life that, if you ask me later if you really care, but uh, I don't want to turn this into a legalism, so I'm going to keep it vague for now. The Lord told me, put that away. And I said, what do you mean put it away? He said, put it away. It was something that's allowed for Christians. The Bible says it's allowed. But he told me, put it away. I said, hmm, what do you mean put it away? Like forever, for, take a break, short break, long break? What are we talking about? He didn't say anything else. He only said, put it away. In fact, like 10 years later, that's still the only thing he's ever said to me about it in terms of instruction. Eight years later, he gave me some explanation. That's a long time to wait for an explanation. Put it away, he says, doesn't explain. Oh, by the way, and I heard somebody say that's a great bargaining technique. If somebody deals with you, they say, here's my offer. You just sit there on the phone quietly. You don't say a word. You don't say a word. And after a while, they get real nervous with that silence because humans, we hate silence. We hate awkward silence more than just about anything. They said the person's going to go, uh, you there? And you go, yep. Then you wait about 10, 15 more seconds, and then they start giving concessions. Okay, well, I guess we could work with you on the price. Maybe we could lower it a little bit. Like if you're a parent, hey, Dad, can I come home? Me and the boys are out. Can I come home at midnight? Long silence. You there, Dad? Yep. Well, I guess we could come home at 1130. Long silence. You still there? Yep. Fine, I guess, I guess we'd come home at 10. I'd see you at 10. Actually, I'm way flexible, but anyway. So the Lord says, put it away. And I was like, Oh, man. And and, you know how I didn't know until he said put it away that that thing had a hold on me. I struggled with it too much. 
too much. I said, oh boy, maybe I have a problem as the fact that I'm like, oh, no, not that Lord. So I did put it away and I felt an instant upgrade in my relationship with Jesus, like instantly to the point where I said, well, that's interesting. I had another, I, like there's a, there's a guy I heard tell the same story except his thing he gave up was meat, all meat. He felt like doing the Daniel thing, like living the Daniel lifestyle, right, you know? And he said, when I gave up meat, my relationship with Jesus went into, clicked into a higher gear. And I thought, well, that's nice for you. I'm not gonna do that, but I definitely want the closer walk with you. I just love that, that Genesis 9 covenant God makes with, with uh, Noah after the flood. Who knows what I'm talking about where he says, now I give you all the animals to eat. And I'm like, fire up them grills, boy. But whatever the Lord says to put away, here's why I'm sharing that. Whatever the Lord says to put it away, even though it might be a short-term sacrifice, there's always a long-term benefit, especially to your relationship with God. And when you say put it away or take it off, this is baptismal language. I'm gonna tell you something real quick that's a little bit weird and you might not like it. In the very early church, when you got baptized, they had you go into the back room and strip off your clothes and be completely naked. Then you went down, I know, yeah, there it is. And then we, you went down into the waters of baptism completely naked. And when you came up out of the water, they wrapped you in a white robe. They gave you milk and honey, signifying that you are now entering into your promised land. They anointed your, your hands and feet with oil to signify the filling of the, and your head with, to signify the filling with the Holy Spirit. And then they presented you before the congregation for the first time as a brand new person. The very early church. Very, very early church, like first couple hundred years. Now, you can see why they took you into the back room. Women with women, men with men. We get it. The early church was obsessively pure, uh, in term, concerned with sexual purity and, and all that, so they would have obviously never done anything. Okay. But you get the imagery. You strip off your old clothes as a symbol of your old life, and you go down into that bath and you come out clean and you go clothed in the righteousness of Christ and now you enter the promised land and you walk in it. So this strip off is baptismal language. All right, and so it's not just our, it's not just our life that changes, it's our language that changes. We, changes how we walk and how we talk. All right, so let's look at these lists. The first word in the list of, is anger. Anger. Or, or gay. Or gay is when your nature rises up in displeasure against something. But this particular word is more used for settled resentments or judgments against things or people. So we're told, for example, in 1 Timothy 2.8, that men are to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger. And what that means is when we come to the Lord in prayer, we are to have stripped off our grievances against people. We're not holding on to anger at people when we come before the Lord. We're, we're to strip that off and forgive and let go of those grievances, knowing that man's anger, James 1.20, does not bring the righteous life that God requires. Second word on the list Wrath, thumos, different, different word. 
While orge is a settled indignation, just like a low simmer, thumos is when that anger swells up and explodes. We would probably say a good translation of this word is rage. Um, Saw somebody just outside my house the other day in a fit of rage, a man and a woman, and the way that he was talking to her was a fit of rage. Uh, We kind of got involved, tried to make sure there wasn't going to be a beating or anything like that. It's good to get involved to keep people physically safe. It's good to put yourself uh, safely in harm's way as much as you can because there's a proverb that basically says if you get in, front of, get in between two people that are quarreling or brawling, only thing you're going to get is hit from both sides. But this was a little different. This was like the danger of an abusive situation. But man, that was Thumos. The, the, the things he was spewing and the physical looming over, it was like, okay, this is not okay. This is not okay. Some people would use, yeah, I talked about this last time, but some people would use Jesus clearing the temple as an excuse to hold on to their behavior that needs to be repented of. Uh, That was not a fit of rage. Jesus does not meticulously craft whips out of cords in a fit of rage. That takes some time. That takes some some doing. There's some planning and strategy that go into his clearing of the temple. Okay? So we're told in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, right? Because it's not a sin to get angry. It's a sin to stay angry, right? Who's with me? In your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because anger's like milk that you leave out. It turns. Turns into something else if you, hold, if you keep it out. It's, you don't want to do that. You can start with anger, and, you, and it's not sin, but then you hold on to it, and over time it turns, and your heart begins to become toxic from holding on to it. And you become what the Scripture calls bitter And if you hold on to that, then your mouth starts to infect those around you with that bitterness. And they begin to hate the people who hurt you too. It's a a process, and it takes a bit, but it's very, very dangerous. And I've noticed this. when, When you're angry, don't you skip steps in your attempts to get justice? Don't you assume guilt where it might not be in your anger? Don't you get a little too hasty for... Justice to be done upon people who might not actually be guilty of what you are. Ah. Yeah. And I said this last time, but it bears repeating. Whatever you can do with anger, you can do better without. Malice is the next word on the list. Malice or kakios, wickedness, badness, evil speech. Probably in this context meaning spitefulness. Spitefulness. Sometimes we speak spitefully of people. And I don't know why this is, but it seems like the temptation is often strongest to those we're closest to. Do you know what I'm talking about? The people that we actually love the most are often the ones, you can't really hate someone until you at least have loved them first. Like, I mean, really hate them. Am I wrong about that? I could be wrong. It's just been, it's just been my experience. So... I think the temptation to speak spitefully can also be multiplied for those of us or to to those who are over us in authority. Uh, We've actually, as a nation, affirmed and welcomed the idea of uh, spitefully speaking against authority. As just as a country, it's just starting to become built into our fabric. So how do we speak about our employees or employers? I'm sorry. How do we speak about our spouses? How do we speak about 
our parents? How do we speak about our children? How do we speak about our leaders, right? Our pastors, our governors, our, our senators. How do we speak about our president, our vice president? Is it spiteful, right? Scripture tells us not to speak evil of others. That, that means of anyone. Not to speak evil of anyone. And I know this is really countercultural, isn't it? It's, it's not just countercultural, it's counterhuman. It's counterhuman. It's counterhuman to honor, to honor your, your siblings, to honor your parents, honor your boss, honor your mayor, judges, police officers, pastors, state governors, president, vice president. And I'm gonna say it this way whether you voted for them or not, whether you agree with them or not, whether you like them or not, whether you respect them or not. Yeah, I honored, I honored George W. Bush. I honored Obama. I honored Trump. And I gotta be honest, I haven't been praying as much for Biden and that's, that's not good. This passage kind of convicted me of that. So let me just say it this way. If the first Christians could honor people, everyone, including the religious leaders that killed Jesus and then threw them in prison for preaching Jesus, and if they were able to honor the Roman emperors, who killed them for sport in public. I'm pretty sure we can do the same. Next word on the list, slander. Blasphemia, harmful and abusive speech against someone's reputation. It is injurious speech. Either about people or God. Blasphemia, injurious speech about someone's reputation. This is interesting. This affirms very clearly, you don't have to hit someone to abuse them. You don't have to hit someone to harm them. All you have to do is speak. You hear what I'm saying? That, that can be damaging both emotionally, but also socially. Even if, it, even if they're so strong, it doesn't damage them emotionally, which is very rare, but it does happen. There are people that strong, but that's really rare. Most of us are very, fr- you don't even have to, all you have to do is use an angry tone with me to hurt me. And I'm not trying to say Tim's super fragile. I'm saying humans. Anger in your tone already implies a deep displeasure against me. Who's with me? Speech can be harmful. It can do incredible damage. When you hang out with people who who speak blasphemously against people or God, you might totally disagree with what they're saying. You might even defend the people they're talking about. But over time, it has an impact. It has an impact. See if you, when you think of the person that you've listened to that talk, that bad talk against that person, you've just, you've tolerated it. You've listened to it. You've listened to it. You've listened to it. You didn't agree with it. You didn't like it, but you listened to it. See if the next person, that person who's been slandered, the next time their name comes up or when their face comes up or the next time you see them, see if your heart isn't disinclined toward them. See if it hasn't budged you a couple inches to the, to the left, away from love. Tell me I'm wrong. This is how seriously the Bible takes this. Titus 3.10, warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time, then listen to this, then after that, have nothing to do with them. 
I got a uh, pastor I really like. He said there was a lady in his church that was just a gossip. She was a gossip. She just loved to dish dirt on people, find out dirt for people, tell you about what was going on. And she would always say, so I can pray, so I can be praying, so you can be praying. He saw her in the hall. He said, stop that. I don't want to hear that. A couple times. He saw her in the hall. Oh, here she comes again. This verse, he followed this verse. He walked right on pastor. Hey, pastor. Hey, pastor. He walked right back. He didn't say, didn't look. He just kept that practice, ignoring her, not talking to her, not looking at her. Rude, right? Finally, she said, I feel like, got in front of him, stop him. I feel like, I feel like you're ignoring me. I am. Why? Because you're a gossip. I love that guy so much. Maybe one day I'll be that loving and brave. I'm just so nice. One time I was in the middle of a revival thing, like at these meetings, and it was so incredible. You know, the Spirit of God is so heavy. All these wonderful testimonies, all this beautiful presence of God. You feel like you're in heaven on earth. And we're out in, my, we're out, we're in a break, and we're in the car. I don't know. I doubt it. He moved to a new city after they sent him out of there. So we're, we're taking a break. We're out in my car and my buddy's with me and he starts trying to tempt me to dish dirt on our church's elders. And the Holy Spirit came on me like, like a warning. And I got the impression, no words, just a feeling. And I got the impression that I am not pleasing to the Lord if I speak a negative word about anyone. Like anyone anyone. And I was like, now those are just, that was just a feeling. And so I kind of just changed the subject if I remember correctly. But it was like, oh, I've been in this holy place. I'm not, I'm not used to being in this level of a holy place to where it, I'm mean, not, I get it. It's what the Bible says when it talks about like praising God and cursing your brother shouldn't come out of the same mouth. That's right. James, right? That's that was so palpable in that heavy place of presence. Next word on the list. Obscene talk. Iscrologia. Dirty, filthy, obscene language. Shameful talk involving inappropriate themes. And then in my own personal dictionary, it would say, see also stand-up comedy. <laughs> Not always. Not always. It's, but if you're a comedian that works clean, people actually feel like they need to say that. Oh, He's not only funny, but check it. He works clean. Brian Regan, you know what I'm talking about? Wow. He doesn't even cuss. And Brian Regan in real life does cuss. But on stage, he doesn't because he feels like it's cheating. It's going for the low-hanging fruit. Just, just playing on people's carnal things and you're not even being funny or intelligent or insightful. But... Obscene talk, dirty, filthy, obscene language, shameful talk involving inappropriate 
themes. It also, I found, when I have a problem with my language, and I do, I'm going to confess to you guys I've been praying for my mouth to be pure and clean for as long as I've been walking with Jesus, and it's an area where I still want much more growth. But what I've noticed is when I'm having a, more of a struggle with it, if I observe what I'm taking into my ears, it's like, oh, well, duh. How can you put garbage in and expect, like, wonderful, healthy things to come out? Amen. Right? Garbage in, garbage out. But, yeah, I mean, and we've all had the conversations with people who are like, but is it really wrong for, for Christians? To, I'm like, dude, come on, man. If the culture even knows it's inappropriate themes and inappropriate language for children, if the culture knows, surely the church could at least know. All right. And it says, put all these things away from your mouth. It's just interesting to me that we're giving up, we're giving up an old lifestyle and we're replacing it with a new lifestyle. It includes how we walk and how we talk. Then he says in verse 9, do not lie to one another. Seeing, see, can you believe we finished two verses already? We, we hardly ever get through two verses. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. Uh, this do not lie to one another thing is really intense. People, the church is called, we are called to be people of the truth, radical people of the truth, right? So in like John, uh, John's gospel, when Jesus is having the big conflict with the Pharisees and do you remember when, when they say, well, we don't know we don't know who, who you're from, but we belong. We're Abraham's children because we know God spoke to Abraham. And he said, actually, you're not Abraham's kids. You belong to your father and you're doing your father's will. And he says, your father was a, is a liar and was a liar from the beginning. And when he lies, he speaks his native language because the truth doesn't, isn't in him. And they're like, what? And, and he's like, all right, let me be clear. Y'all are children of the devil. Remember that scene? Anyone think that was super intense? Have you ever had that? Just a normal, just hanging out, having a normal conversation with somebody and just tell them that? That's, <laughs> that's why I say that Jesus, he's the kindest person I've ever met, but he's, very, he's not very nice sometimes. <laughs> that's not very nice. You guys are doing what your father, the devil, does. He's a liar. And he's, when he lies, he speaks his native language. Jesus, on the other hand, is the truth. And so then the contrast to that is you'll be my disciples when you abide in my teachings and then you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. So over here in the old kingdom, it's a kingdom built on lies. This kingdom is built on the truth. So Paul says, so how this works out in the church is now the church is to be a people who in our, in our communication is dominated not by, see, and here's the deal. It doesn't just mean telling straight, bald-faced lies to each other. It's so much more than that. Do you know how much posturing goes into human interactions? If you, if you study this out and you, and you look at like modern research onto how many times a day the average human lies, 
bends the truth, tells a half-truth, implies something, orchestrates how, they, how we communicate to make ourselves look the way we want others to perceive us, not how we are. That's a version of lying. And we go, well, those are, those are small, subtle things, right? Does this dress make me look fat, you know? How's that project going? I'm working on it. Translation, I should have been working on it, but now that you say that in the last three seconds, I started to work on it. Therefore, I'm working on it. You'll have it by Monday. Just posturing. It's, it's, uh, It's interesting to me, Jesus tells us to confess our sins and to hide our acts of righteousness. He's not interested in all that, that image management. And then, and then we withhold the feedback from each other that we think will cause you to not like me, even if it would help you get where you're wanting to go. Again, back to the nice thing. We're nicer than Jesus. He loves people we hate, but he also confronts people we like. Being people who don't lie to one another is, dude, it's, it's a lifetime of having the Lord strip off the layers of posturing that we have grown so accustomed to from the time we were really little. When we were, forgive me, but when we were really little, we ran around naked. We didn't care what anyone thought. And when we started to grow up, we became obsessed with what other people thought. Are our clothes cool enough? Did I, do I sound dumb? Am I successful? Do you like me? And then and now, nowadays in a social media culture, we're so careful what we put online and how we say it because we're, who do I belong to? What do I stand for? It, we're just so, we're getting so good at managing you seeing me how I want you to see me so you don't see who I really am. And I don't know who that is anyway because I'm never alone. And I'm barely alone with God where I would find out who I am. Who's, who's tracking with what I'm saying? So this thing of do not, li- do not lie to one another goes so many layers deep of becoming authentic people that when we say we're glad you're here, You can believe it. Because when you're off mission, we'll tell you that too. If you're only ever nice to me, I have no clue if your niceness has anything to do with truth. Good parenting strategy is parent your child in such a way that when other people are nice to them, they're not, it's not fake nice. They actually like your kids. They want to be around your kids because they're well-behaved, respectful, play well with others. That's great parenting advice. Parent in such a way that when people are nice to your kids, it's not fake nice. That's got to be rough, right, to be one of those kids whose parents don't discipline. So now the only attention coming to them from adults is tolerant or fake acceptance. And the only thing coming from their peers is similar. That's a hard life. And in the church, we're supposed to be so radically of the truth that we're much more confrontational than the world, but our affection is believed because it's real. 
It's not put on. This is a weird conversation. I think that's about it for today. People of the truth. That old self, though, it's so about me that I can't love you well. And some of you are really good at this already, and it's, it's really amazing to me. I'm so, I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed with people who don't have a lot of posturing in their communication. Like Rich Mullins was that way. Rich Mullins blew my mind. He was that way. I heard him talking, and he, he's, he's in public with a microphone at a piano talking to a group of people and he says, so uh, I wrote this song when I was staying up all night because I wanted to lust. Yeah, I, I wanted to sin. I wanted to lust. I wanted to sin. But, but I was in my room with my buddy who's, on, who's in the band. And I was waiting till he fell asleep so I could sin. He didn't fall. He just, I, I was waiting till he would snore because he's a snorer. I really wanted to sin that night. Just wanted to sin. I was lonely. I was hurt. I wanted a coping mechanism. And I'm watching this and I'm going, dude, you're too honest. You're making me uncomfortable. Don't be this honest. Just, you're making every, I'm uncomfortable and I'm in my house by myself. And then, and he's like, so I was waiting for him to snore and he just, he just wouldn't snore. All night he didn't snore, so I didn't sleep that night. I got up just completely wrecked. I spent the whole night trying to figure out if I could sin, knowing, planning on repenting later, one of those deals. Just planning on repenting later. So now I've been harboring this sin in my heart all night long. Didn't get to it. I'm emotionally fatigued. I'm sick of myself. I haven't had any sleep. So I, know, I went over to the piano and he wrote, Oh God, you are my God. And I will ever praise you. And I will seek you in the morning. And I will learn to walk in your way. Sing it if you know it. And step by step you lead me and I will follow you all of my days. You guys don't know it because <laughs> I'm old. Oh. That's good. That's the backstory. It's a beautiful song. Everyone sung it. Does, do people know it was written by a man in deep crisis, wrestling with his own sin and that night failing. And then he had the guts, the integrity, the lack of concern about him and his reputation and what you thought about him and enough genuine love and care for the Lord. I want to grow. I want to change. How can you get free of stuff you're not going to be honest about? The truth is the healing. You find it. You Talk to anyone who, who knows that they are an addict and they'll tell you deception is what empowers the addiction because all sin is addictive and deceptive. It pulls you in deeper and the more in you go, the de more detached you become from reality until now you can get to the place where you not only lie to everyone around you, you believe your lies. All right, go ahead and stand. What do you got going on, Linda? So um, a scripture that gets me through the times that I have a lot of anger and rage and malice, because I do, and I don't like that. And I've shared, I mean, I've shared it before, but 
um, there's a lot of new faces here. And I think that like when Tim said, you know, we can fall under that deception that we think we have it and nobody can see it. Nobody knows what's going on behind closed doors because everything looks good out in public, right? Or when we're in church. But a, a scripture that I've held on to, and I remember telling Rusty years ago, um, I want it on my tombstone. And I, I truly mean that. And it's Psalm 1914. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my thoughts and every movement of my heart be pure to the Lord. And so as I journey through this life, you know, there's, there's days and even, and even weeks that I go and I don't have a fit of anger or rage. But then there are seasons when it seems like as soon as I wake up, I feel it. And it's a battle. But I know that in this battle, there is freedom. And I cling to his promises. And I apologize to my husband or my kids when the words in my mouth haven't been pleasing. And the thoughts that were running through my head weren't good. And my heart sure wasn't in a very good place. And if that's, if that's any of you, man, don't leave here. We've got such an amazing prayer team. And I know Stan has a word too. The image that the Lord gave me this morning, and I know women will get this more if you've been pregnant before, but you're like ready to birth something. You're in that ninth month and you're just like, struggling like why isn't this happening why isn't why why am I not giving birth to whatever it is you know you just want your water to break because you know once your water breaks it's the baby's coming so whatever it is that we're trying to birth why isn't the water breaking I don't know if that's a word for someone I've it's man it was strong on my heart this morning and then I was praying as Tim was speaking like how does this tie in it, okay, it doesn't have to. It could be a separate word for somebody. So if you're if you're been trying to birth something and it's like, how come the water isn't breaking? This morning when we were uh, singing that song, Look to Him, it just kept coming over to me, look to Him. And so many times we get focused on everything around us that's going on and we don't look to Him. We looked at, all the situations that's going around in our life, in our family's life. I just heard the Lord say, look to him. When we look to him, everything else just goes away. He said, look to him. No matter what your situation, no matter what you're going through this morning, look to him. And I just want to share this, that if anything that Tim said this morning hit home, Come up here. There's no condemnation in Christ. There's no condemnation in Jesus. You know, we're here to, to, to be free. God wants us free, you know. But I just felt like the Lord said, we need to look to him. And so many times we don't. So many times we look at what's going on in our, in our situation. And Jesus really wants us to look to him. So today, whether you, if you need prayer, please come up. And I, I knew that was the word condemnation because it's easy to fall under that where the enemy can get in and make you feel like crap for losing it and saying things that aren't so nice. But there is freedom and we can, we can walk in that every single day. And when we mess up, 
we don't have to stay down. So please, please, please come forward and let us pray with you. And um, those of you that are ready to leave, just pray a blessing over you this week. May the words of your mouths and the meditation thoughts that you have and every movement of your heart be pleasing to the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.